if you invest properly in real estate and you invest with good fundamentals, you can always find good deals. You don't have to hope for or wait for some massive crisis to make your windfall. If you're a passive investor wanting to learn more about questions to ask sponsors in order to qualify the opportunities, in order to qualify the sponsor, in order to qualify the market that the property is in, then go to besteverpassiveinvestor.com. My team and I created this site just for you so that there is a free resource available to you to learn about the questions to ask, the things to think through prior to investing in deals. So go to besteverpassiveinvestor.com. It's a free resource for you that was made just for you. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff. And we got a special segment for you today. We got Chris Clothier on the show, and he's going to be talking about the differences between 2008 and the current real estate market with the coronavirus pandemic. So first off, Chris, welcome, and good to talk to you again. Yeah, Joe, thank you for having me. Appreciate the chance to just jump on here and and chat with you a little bit. Well, I always jump at the chance to talk to you. I have a lot of respect for you as a business person and as a human being, so I'm grateful for talking to you as well. A little bit about Chris. He's the partner of REI Nation. REI Nation manages a $100 million portfolio consisting of single-family homes. He personally owns between 12 to 15 million residential holdings and commercial real estate. He's got nearly two decades of real estate experience based in Memphis, Tennessee. So, Chris, can you give a very, very brief refresher of your background and what you do just for some context for our conversation? And then let's talk about your thoughts on the differences between 2008 and what we're currently experiencing with the coronavirus pandemic. Absolutely. So for those who don't recognize the name REI Nation, my family founded the company called Memphis Invest. And Memphis Invest rebranded as REI Nation when we moved into our seventh market for managing single family homes for passive investors. So we started in Memphis back 2002, 2003 range. Today, kind of as you alluded to a few minutes ago, we're managing over 6,000 single family homes for passive investors. And really our specialty is what's been become known as the turnkey niche. So we are purchasing, doing high-end renovations, then placing long-term residents into those homes. And then we manage them once they are purchased by a investor that wants to be strictly passive. They just want to own the asset, have someone else manage the day-to-day. That's what we do today. That's about an $800 million portfolio spread across seven cities in the Southeast Midwest area. So what are the cities? We're in Memphis, of course, where we started. And then we're now in Dallas and Houston, Texas. We're in Oklahoma City and Tulsa, Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. We're in Little Rock, Arkansas and St. Louis, Missouri. Okay. Got it. Cool. And as you alluded to, we were a growing company in the very, very early days of the boom for passive investments when it was becoming very popular across forms online and across the ability to use the internet to kind of reach out, connect and do diligence on passive investments around the country. We were right there at the forefront of it back before the first recession hit. So how did tenants, how did owners react then versus what you're seeing now? 
Well, the interesting dynamic between the two is that back in 2008, there were a lot of people that were talking about a housing bust, that there was a bubble that had been created artificially. And that was through people that were buying property that had no business buying property, people that were highly and even over leveraged. And you just had this inflation of value that there were a lot of people that were warning at the time that it was unsustainable. And then you had suddenly this slow drip of bad news. It started, of course, with Bear Stearns crashing. And then I've got my dates pretty close to accurate. About 15 months later, Fannie Mae pulling out of the investment market and dropping investors from, I believe, 10 properties down to three properties that they would finance overnight. So from a Tuesday to a Wednesday, you went from having an approved loan and a property under contract to your loan was canceled. Even if you had a closing set for 8 a.m. in the morning, it was no longer closing. So there was this slow drip of a crisis developing and then all of a sudden, boom, one day you had this the drop. What's happened here now is that really a compression of just bad news and fear. But any of the hardships that are going to face the, the real estate industry as a whole, they're still in front of us. They haven't really hit yet. This is a whole new set of issues from rent and mortgage abatement and some of these other things that are coming up. And the difference right now is that there's no room to even take a breath. You're talking about over a two-week period, we went from full occupancy and business as usual to the likelihood of collecting percentages of rents rather than full rents. Whereas before you had a little bit of time to prepare and you could see things down the road. This is one of those things that just smacked us all right in the mouth in a fairly short period of time. So what's your communication approach when inevitably you've got your customers reaching out to you personally? And I know there's got to be a chain of command where they're reaching out to their point person, but they're also reaching out to you too, saying, hey, Chris, what's going on with my property? So with 6,000 individual units, right? that's a lot of owners. I understand that many owners buy multiple properties, but I'm sure you've got some sort of approach where it's like, okay, here's my message now to my clients, and then here's my approach, X, Y, Z. So can you talk about that? Yes. There are 2,000 owners of those 6,000 properties. Okay. So you're talking about a massive number of people and all are going to have an individual situation to them. (laughs) So the first thing that we did was we did not rush to communicate out anything. We took our time to absorb, to bounce a lot of ideas off one another. We spent a lot of time understanding what was happening rather than trying to react and put out multiple messages. And ultimately the message we went out to our client base with was that we are preparing daily. We remember what the 2008 crisis looked like. We remember the daily grind. We remember the fact that you had to have a plan A and a plan B and a plan C. You had to be thinking through every possible scenario and each way you could react because there's so many things happening. And whether you're a single landlord or you're a business owner with a smaller business, none of it matters. You have to be in constant planning mode. And what I mean by that is you can't plan for what's going to happen. You have to plan for the 10 things that could happen. And then how do you react to those? And then the bigger thing for us, I'll tell you, we're very confident right now. Mostly we're confident because we feel that we have prepared as best we can. None of us anyway. I don't know of anybody that I've spoken with out there that had a plan for this type of pandemic and this type of scenario. But all of us plan for if something bad were to occur. So all this was, was we spent a lot of time ramping up, discussing, training, changing scripts. And by scripts, I mean, 
we have to know how to answer questions. Now you're talking both from an owner and a resident standpoint, mm-hmm. and we have to practice and practice and practice and practice what our message is and make sure that we properly plan for the message we're giving, if that makes sense. I mean, you can't just say something. You have to have a plan behind it. Of This is exactly what we're doing and why we think it's going to bring us and you the most success. What is your resident message? The resident message was simpler than the owner message. I will tell you that, that the resident message was that we did not go out with a big message in advance of telling everybody of any plan. Every single resident in every one of our properties knew that rent was due on April 1st. So we did not communicate any mass message of what we were going to be doing in advance. What we chose instead was on an individual one-on-one basis, as residents are calling us, informing us of hardship, we have a list of resources for them. We have questions we have to go through with them. We have verification steps that we have to take to be able to verify that you are truly in a hardship. And then the reality is that right now, housing is massively important to each of these residents. They don't want to stress about housing. So the message becomes, while rent is due, not paying anything right now really cannot be an option. You have to make some effort towards paying a rent while we verify your hardship so that we're able to fight for you on your behalf to an owner that they've done the best they can. They're doing everything they can to meet their obligation. This is where they're at. And we try and keep to a minimum the number of people that do not pay any rent for whatever the reason, valid or not. We're trying to keep that to a minimum. So our message is one of compassion. We have a lot of steps we're going to take, but you don't take those steps until the month goes on. So again, nobody's late with us until three or five days after rents due. So right now, nobody's late. Note to listeners, we're recording this on April the 2nd. There you go. Sorry about that, Joe. We took a similar approach, by the way, with no formalized communication to residents about rent in particular. We have apartment communities, so it's a little bit different. Certainly about amenities and uh, social distancing among the community and staffing hours and all that. But that's kind of apples and oranges right now, so I won't mix that up into this conversation. But we took a similar approach where rent was due April 1st, and we're going to have those conversations on an individual basis. Now, what about a different approach? Because I saw a post on Facebook, so it's definitely true, right? <laughs> so, where, where someone proactively gave all their residents 15% off rent, and they were getting, at least from one resident, very positive feedback. And for the record, we did not do this. So I'm not saying you should have, but I'm just asking, why didn't you do something like that? We discussed it. So here we are again. We're recording on the morning of the 2nd of April, and- We already know that over 30% of our residents paid on time in full through the first day. And that percentage will grow through the second day and the third day. Payday is Friday. There's a certain percentage out there that are going to pay on time that are not having any issues right now. Heck, Joe, we had over 12% of our residents paid early before the first. So their rent for April was in in March. And most of them were paying the 28th, 29th, 30th, 31st, those days. They're making auto payments in their portal. So had we arbitrarily given a discount across the board, we have a fiduciary responsibility to our owners to make sure that we are doing what's in their best interest too. Mm -hmm. And there will be cases where we have to work with a resident. There are going to be cases where we're going to have to do discounts and we're going to have to implore owners to work with them. So we chose, and we will continue this message to our residents that those that can pay should pay. And those that are in hardship 
should communicate. And that's the route we're taking because we don't know what's going to happen in May or June. So someone who could pay full in April may need help in May. Mm -hmm. I want to be able to give them the help that they need then, not arbitrarily cut it across the board. And so we don't know that we're right, but we are very confident in our approach. And so far, it's bearing fruit. So far, we feel like we have a great plan for those that cannot pay on time. And we have a great plan for those that can. And we're executing. If I cannot pay on time and I verify my hardship through the list of questions that your team asks, but I do make an effort to pay, say I pay 10% of whatever the rent is, what happens to the remaining 90%? It's going to be, again, on an individual basis. But I can tell you on the front end, we're not here to make late fees and, and make life more difficult for anybody. And we're not here to put anybody out of their home when eviction proceedings are unfrozen. Right. So there are a lot. I don't have the exact number, but I know it was a good percentage of owners that proactively reached out to us and said, hey, I want to help my resident if they need help. Mm -hmm. I'm in a good position, so I don't have to have full rent. And what we've told all of our owners is there will be a time and a place to make that decision. Let's not proactively reach out because there's 6,000 residents here. Let's not reach out to them and say, you don't have to pay. Let's review. And it may be 30 or 60 or 90 or 120 days down the road when decisions have to be made. And if we can communicate that the resident had great communication with us, they applied for all the assistance they could get, they applied as much of that assistance towards rent as they could, then I have a feeling that we're going to have a lot of owners that say, okay, that's what I'm going to lose this year. Whereas I anticipated making a higher cash return. This year, I may not make that cash return, but I reduced my principal. I've got an occupied property with a good tenant. I've worked up some goodwill and we'll just move forward. And that's what I think a lot of owners are prepared and understand they're going to have to do this year. Not all of them, but some. Some will be affected that way. Looking back to 2008 and comparing it to today, you mentioned some of the differences at the beginning, but what are some similarities that you see? Well, I see the unfortunate effect of this compounding of issues that if I were to guess, I would say that some markets, some neighborhoods, some areas, some classes of properties, however you want to designate it, they're going to be impacted by foreclosures months from now. They're going to be impacted by an increase in vacancy and maybe a decrease in rent. Now, this isn't across the board and each market's different, but you're going to see those things happen. It happened slowly back during the crisis of 08. By 2009, 2010, if your market was going to be affected on the real estate side, it was. It took a solid two years, but by then there was no escaping. If your market was going to see an increase in foreclosures, a compression of rents, a compression of value, it had happened. And I think that's going to happen again here. This is a completely different crisis, but now the financial side is going to start taking its toll on the real estate and people's ability to maintain and stay in their homes and avoid foreclosure and eviction. And so those things, they're lagging and hopefully it's not massive. Hopefully we can get through this, which is a major difference from back then. At least with a crisis like this, there's hope of a cure, a come out of it, a flattening of the number of people that are being affected, all these different things that we can see that didn't exist in 08 and 09. Back in 08 and 09, we had no idea what was going to happen next. Mm -hmm. At least now we know that with some degree of certainty that we're going to get through this. And the faster we can, the less effect it'll have on the number of foreclosures there are and where they occur and rent rate compression and value compression. 
I don't think it'll be as widespread, but the longer this goes, you can see where that's going to come six, nine, 12 months down the road. One interesting thing that I think will take place is the fire sale like we had after the 08 crisis. It won't be nearly like that at the end of this for many reasons. One of them being people have been squirreling away money, anticipating some sort of correction. Had no idea. I don't think anyone had an idea it would be a virus. <laughs> I think they thought there'd be something else. But people have been squirreling away money and the distressed properties that do come up it is my belief there's going to be a lot of competition for those distressed properties, whereas in 2009, 2010, there wasn't nearly as much competition because of what you said, the uncertainty. Oh, I think you're spot on. You're exactly right. So there's not a liquidity crisis yet. So as long as there's liquidity in the market and there's appetite for buying, I agree with you 100%. We shouldn't see that anyway. And look, between you and I and, and all of your listeners here, any investor that came through 08 and 09, many of them that I'm talking to, they're advising newer investors that this whole idea of this is what we've been waiting for. Now we can finally get involved in the market and prices are going to fall and I'm going to snatch up some great deals. So many of us remember the destruction that came from 08, 09, 010 to lives, to people individually. Certainly none of us are hoping for that. Anybody that came through that is hoping for a calm recovery and exit out of this, not something that's volatile with high losses. And if you invest properly in real estate and you invest with good fundamentals, you can always find good deals. You don't have to hope for or wait for some massive crisis to make your windfall. Anything else we should talk about that we haven't talked about as it relates to what's going on right now compared to 08 and just your overall approach? The biggest thing I can implore everybody is that it's not too late to plan. If you haven't planned yet, it's okay. Even by the time that you hear this, you need to be planning for what can come next and worst case scenarios and how do you navigate those issues. You need to be overly communicating with your partners, with your lenders, with your clients or residents. And if this has shown us anything, that we're pretty weak when it comes to control, which actually is a very strengthening approach. We don't know what's coming next. So we get stronger by planning for everything so that we're not surprised. So that no matter what happens, we can look back and say, I've got a plan for this and I'm going to execute that plan. That's the way we came through 08 and 09. And that's exactly what we've done today. We have just very calmly said, let's get to work. When you said at the beginning, you did not rush to communicate anything. You had conversations amongst yourselves and figured out the approach. What was your response to the owners, to their clients, before you had that formalized communication ready to go? What were you telling them in the meantime? Well, for us, we have for many, many years had a program where we call every one of our clients every month. So we built up this massive goodwill through relationship. So for us, there was no need to rush out because we were already talking to every client. And the conversations that the clients had with us was, hey, I know y'all are planning and preparing. I just want you to know that I'm okay not getting rent or help my client out. Let me know when you know what you're going to do. So we didn't have a clientele that was in the dark. We had a clientele that because we call them every single month, and that was our message. Hey, we called you every month for the last 12 years for this day, because this day would come when there would be uncertainty and fear, 
and you needed to know that we were on top of it. So there was not a need for us necessarily to get something out quick. And when we did get something out, we chose to do it by video, which we posted a message that they could all get to. So we put it on a website page so they could get to the message. And the message, again, was very clear that, again, we're confident. Who was talking in the video? Was it just you? It was just me. Just you. Got it. Well, how can the best ever listeners learn more about REI Nation? We have a very active blog at reination.com. We have a video series out there to help investors learn. All of it's free. There's nothing behind a paywall. You don't have to pay anything for it, that kind of thing. And I'm also extremely active on social media sites and even on sites like Bigger Pockets. So I think I'm pretty accessible. You can come to reination.com, learn more about our company. You can always reach out to me. You can connect to us through the social media or through Bigger Pockets, and we're happy to do what we can to help investors today kind of navigate, get through this. Thanks for talking about the macro level picture, as well as getting the specifics of how you're communicating with the owners of the properties, as well as the residents. Enjoyed our conversation as always. Hope you have a best ever weekend and talk to you again soon, Chris. Thanks, Joe. Take care. If you're a passive investor and want to learn more about Ashcroft Capital, the company I co-founded with my business partner, Frank, and in particular, want to learn more about our strategy and how we think about the opportunities that we purchase, go to ashcroftcapital.com and click the strategy button above and you'll be able to read through our thought process we use when we're purchasing multifamily properties. What if you could earn 10000 per month net cash flow for life? Now you can at the Residential Assisted Living Academy. Gene Corino teaches you how to take a single family house and turn it into a cash flow machine. Visit ralacademy.com to learn more.